Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. And today we're going to do a discussion episode inspired by Joe Biden, our former vice president, who recently launched his Biden Institute and started it with a blog post about the future of work and why he opposes universal basic income. So Biden talked about how he feels like support for basic income is problematic largely because it's not looking at a future that leans into jobs. He feels like having a job is fundamental, that it's, it, it gives people purpose, and that because basic income isn't inherently tied to a job, it's not the right path forward. And he, he makes a point that I've heard a bunch of times before, and if you're in this space, you'll you'll hear enough, which is that basic income eats away at the dignity of work, and that just giving people money unconditionally, regardless of you know, whether or not they did anything for it, um, takes away to something core to the American ideal or, or some kind of work ethic that's important to us. So we felt like, both because obviously Joe Biden is a, a very public important figure, but also because this tension between basic income and jobs comes up so much that, that it would be worth having a bigger conversation about that topic. And I think to start with making a key point that jobs and basic income are not mutually exclusive. Saying that you support basic income does not mean you don't support jobs. And this comes up so frequently. One of the first things I, I hear when I bring up basic income is like, oh, like Star Trek, where you know you, you just work if you feel like it. Um, and hey, maybe in 100,000 years, that, that'll be the scenario. But for now, this isn't pragmatically what we're really talking about. I think there's a couple of reasons that, that people have this view that, that basic income and jobs are inherently at odds. And one of them is the perspective that many folks have when they first hear about the idea of basic income, which is that if you're getting enough to cover your basic needs, people will stop working. And this is one that we actually have very, very good evidence to say that's not actually true, that if you look at the past studies that have been done on, on basic income uh, in the U.S., in Canada, around the world, we saw, yes, there's a slight decrease in the rate at which people work when they get basic income, but it's not very large. And it tends to be not, not the primary earners. It, it tends to be the secondary earners or the kids in the house that, that are actually uh, either staying home with family members or, or getting more education. And so you're not actually getting this, this massive job loss, which I, I think people have in their heads that, that idea. Yeah, and if you think about most basic income schemes, both the ones that have been tested and the ones that have been proposed, they usually cap out at around $1,000 a month, maybe a little bit more than that. There aren't too many jobs that people would quit if you were to get uh, a dividend like that. And if you think about this sort of job, you'd be tempted to quit once you are getting, say, $12,000 a year, it's probably not a very good job. Right. I think that if, if we're talking about what what changes basic income might make, it, it is true. If, if there are really bad jobs out there, then yes, people may be motivated to leave them and, and find something better, though, like actually promoting good jobs. And, and also, I think we've talked about before this idea that if people know they have their basic needs covered, it can make them more open to taking risk. And so part of that could be more entrepreneurship. People may, may be starting new businesses. And so it should even be creating jobs on, on top of maybe losing a few that, that aren't great to start with. 
Yeah, and I'd throw in there, in addition to entrepreneurship, there's just, you know, taking maybe six months to invest in a new skill. Um, if you are, you know, struggling every month, if you don't have uh, very much in your bank account, you're probably, certainly you're not going to quit your job to pursue something like that. And you probably just don't feel like you have the social safety net and the, you know, the money and time and space to actually make a career shift. Right. But entrepreneurship won't just be open to those who happen to have a big trust fund or large Large savings account that'll they'll actually could be far more diversity in, in in the field if if more people knew that they were going to be able to cover their basic needs there. Yeah, and even people who want to keep their jobs, if they have a real social safety net, they'll be able to advocate for themselves in a, a more convincing way and say, you know, they want better conditions, better hours. Um, there are a lot of. Uh, misclassified contractors out there is becoming more and more of an issue that really should be employees. Uh, if you have a real social safety net and your boss knows that, it's a lot easier to say, hey, I, I want improved conditions. Right, which I, I think ties into another point here, which not only is this basic income not destroy jobs, we should, in fact, be both pursuing basic income and continuing to fight for better jobs, that we should say that we want everyone to actually be in an employment situation that is, is fair to them, that provides them with the actual support and compensation that everyone deserves. Yeah, and just to jump back to our, our first point here, that's why I think it's kind of silly when people say it's sort of a one or the other thing that you know, good jobs or basic income because a basic income would lead to better jobs. I would say even even more than that, those of us in the basic income space recognize that there actually is a ton of work that needs to be done in our society right. yeah. that isn't getting done today, yeah. that, that we have crumbling infrastructure in large parts of the country and that we actually should be employing people to, to take on that work. And that's something mm -hmm. that we sh can and should push for at the same time as talking about, oh, what could a basic income do for us? Yeah, so let's get into the sort of more philosophical end of this. To paraphrase Joe Biden, uh, a job is more about more than a, a paycheck. It's, it's, you know, it has to do with your identity and you can even get into your soul or big concepts like that. And it's true that people really identify with what they do, especially if they do it, you know, 40 or more hours a week. It's a big part of who they are. Uh, at the same time, I also I just find that argument fairly troubling because there are so many people who long to get out of their jobs or, or you know, work so hard to do something other than their job and and they're just scrapping to find hours in the day to be someone other than who they are at work. I will say I am quite sympathetic to this argument. I, th I think that oftentimes in the basic income space, when folks are talking about this, they they gloss over how important the, the idea of a job is is to many people, and that it's it's not just a task you do to get money. It is, as you said, an identity statement. And I, I would go even further. I think that there's a pretty wide perception that you need to have a job to really be a full person. You're not actually fully realized as a human being unless you have full-time employment. And I think that's really a problem. I think that right, yeah. what one is that is actually quite exclusionary, mm -hmm. that there's a lot of people out there that are contributing valuably 
that don't have a full-time job and, and we're, at, we as a society, are not actually recognizing their contribution. If you think about people who stay home and take care of their loved ones, that's such important work. Like the, our society would be so worse off if we didn't have those people doing that, but because they're not engaged in monetized labor, so often we just don't recognize that value. Yeah, I think a lot of this comes from the post-World War II United States, where one, if you were an able-bodied, especially white man, it was very easy to find at least a sort of entry-level working-class job, and there was this expectation of a nuclear family. So um, the, the caretakers would be taken care of by their husbands, supposedly, even if they weren't working themselves. And the world we live in today is a lot different, one, in that employment is a lot more precarious. It's a lot more contractual, short term. Uh, you can't just have a job and assume that's going to be your job forever or let alone till the end of the year. Uh, we have you know, two income households are now the norm and also two people or, or you know, two parent households are not necessarily the norm. And so both genders are expected to work now. Uh, work is harder to come by. And I think this ethos from the previous economy is not completely wrong now. It's not like we have to completely scrap it and start over. And I totally understand that it still applies in a lot of ways to today's world. But you can also see where it fails in a lot of places. I think another place where this is very problematic is when you look at it from a racial lens. Mm -hmm. I would say that this perspective of really only being a full person if you have a full-time job has really amplified a lot of the discrimination issues that, that we have seen and are seeing in our society because in so many black communities, there just isn't access yeah. to jobs or good, certainly not good jobs, but oftentimes just the jobs. The employment rate amongst black Americans is far higher than it is amongst this population at large. And so because we're seeing this tie between personhood and having a job, it means that it's that much easier for people to fall into these traps of adopting these discriminatory attitudes because of these existing structural racism that exists in our society that is uh, that, that is preventing advancement and preventing uh, full employment in those groups. So given all that, the idea that it is important to have purpose is, is very real. But I think that the way we can balance that with the problems that we have with our existing system is if we can really expand our definition and our perception of what work means and how work can actually tie to purpose but can can be more than, than just that traditional job. Yeah, and we've had a number of guests on this show say that the way to help the poor is to trust them, you know, just give them money and they will use it for, for what they need. And I would draw a comparison to the employment issue where the way to help people find their purpose is to trust them, give them that space and that ability to maybe chart a path for themselves. And I will say not to um, not to you know put down the people who who make this argument you know around the dignity of work. Those tend not to be the people with the hardest jobs who are saying you know don't give me money. I'd rather you know work really hard for it. 
uh, and a low-paying job, uh, it tends to be, you know, kind of high-level thinkers who are maybe working policy um, or who are, are taking a sort of more removed look from this. And I think if we had a UBI, people, if they really found their jobs fulfilling, would either stay in them or would move to do something even more fulfilling. But the idea that we need to sort of create the situation where people have to keep these jobs or else, and so they will be fulfilled, is kind of looking at it backwards. My perspective on the issue is that, again, I do think that the purpose argument is very valid and, and that people need to find their purpose, and, and some absolutely will have an entrepreneurial spirit and are able to figure that out. I also... I think that there is a very strong argument that not everyone falls into that bucket. And so I see basic income as a necessary but not a sufficient condition here, that we need to be ensuring people can cover their basic needs. But there may be other things that we need on top of that. I think that a trap that basic income advocates fall into is saying that, oh, basic income is it. That's all we need. That's a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. And I I disagree with that. I I think that we are going to need more than that. But I think that basic income is is really the keystone where we start and that what we can build upon in in order to to actually make sure we've set up a culture and set up a society that provides people with that level of purpose that they need. And along those lines, there are a lot of work that's currently uncompensated and is universally considered valuable. The most obvious example would be caretaking. You know, I have uh, he's almost two-year-old son now, and that's the most satisfying and important work I do is, is hanging out with him. And if we can actually, to some degree, decouple that idea of, of doing work that is critically important and valuable from a societal and from a communal perspective from direct monetary compensation, I think that's really what opens up a lot of opportunities here. It means that people can suddenly take that bigger perspective as to what is what does it mean to contribute to society and really think about what is the, the type of work that's going to give them the most purpose. And this is where I think basic income can be such a valuable tool because it inherently is giving you that stability and floor, and so you really can't consider the full range of options then. Right. I mean, usually someone who is unemployed and needs to find something to do, they are only going to consider things that compensate them monetarily. And yeah, that's probably going to be true for the, the foreseeable future. But if we did have a basic income, they could at least spend longer in that period, you know, doing work that they might find more valuable, you know, building community with their neighbors, um, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. And, you know, maybe some people would stay out of the workforce and maybe that wouldn't be such a bad thing. So we've been talking about this philosophical perspective on the idea that having a job is is necessary for purpose, and that I think really being part of Vice President Biden's opposition to, to basic income. I think there is also a pragmatic objection that, that people have, and that's because of this underlying philosophy and because we've had that in the United States for decades, the programs that exist today are very much designed around that idea of, of job being central to, to being. And so when we talk about how can we provide people with more stability, how can we provide them with more support, 
it is so much easier to imagine a path forward if we're approaching it with continuing with that job perspective in mind. Right. And the the social safety nets that we have right now are largely based around unemployment, you know, namely health insurance and retirement. Uh, those either come from your employer or sort of run through your employer. And if you don't have an employer, finding health insurance got considerably easier in some states, at least, through the Affordable Care Act. But, you know, obviously that's uh, an ongoing issue. Uh, retirement is something where you can kind of do it yourself, but, uh, again, is, is sort of a challenge and it's just easier if your employer sets up a 401k and it's there isn't really kind of a, a plug-and-play system uh, if you're unemployed. And I do think that this creates tension when thinking about universal basic income. If, if you are a supporter and you're thinking about how do we move this policy forward politically, you really have two options. You can either say, all right, we need to push something separate from work. We need to say that work isn't core to how we're thinking about providing people with that fundamental floor in society. Or you can say jobs are how we we think about this right now. Let's see if we can push forward at least aspects of basic income while still keeping it at least to some degree within that job framework. And uh, what I think you're thinking of there is the EITC, the Earned Income Tax Credit, which is starting to get more and more play. And this is something that has bipartisan support, partly because it's a program that exists right now where people get compensated uh, a little bit more for low-income work. And there's a proposal right now from uh, Ro Khanna of the representative from Silicon Valley to dramatically increase the earned income tax credit. There's a number of different basic income proponents who are thinking about could we take and expand EITC in various ways and, and to make it more like a basic income, but still keeping that underlying connection to work. I also think some of the other proposals we've heard for basic income connect in some way or another. Roy Bahat talked about the idea of having some sort of national service program that everyone engages in for a couple of years, and then you really get basic income as a sort of pension for the remainder of your life. And that obviously has more separation between a job and being compensated because you're not having to work in an ongoing way, but there still is that connection, that, that you, are, you are more deserving of that income because you have done some work. Yeah, and I'll say that I like both of these proposals. I'm a little bit more drawn to the Roy Bahat world of it doesn't have to be a, a traditional job. It can be something like, you know, working on infrastructure or an education or whatever we deem to be important as, as a country. Uh, another sort of way to, to start recreating that social safety net, one would be through universal programs. And we're seeing, you know, more and more talk of universal health care, at least in some parts of the political world. And another one, which has been uh, proposed by the Institute for the Future, are portable benefits. So something where you would have your own health insurance, say, but you'd be able to take that with you if you left your job. And so that starts to decouple some of these programs from employment in a way that is maybe not as, as radical as a universal program. But I, I think at the end of the day, there is always still going to be that tension because if we're pushing policies that still connect to work in some ways. We're not we're not making that separation. Mm -hmm. And so could we ever actually get to a full universal basic income with that approach? 
I was actually very struck by an exchange uh, during the the Net Roots Nation panel on basic income, looking at a progressive vision of the policy. It was between former member of Congress Tom Perriello and and Rita Modi, who who we had on the podcast recently. Congressman Perriello was intrigued by basic income, but was generally very skeptical that we could ever push something like that forward, just because of of that perspective that people have that we need to be connecting it to work in some ways, and that with with our current culture, it just wasn't a possibility. And Ritu responded saying that, why are we limiting ourselves to current culture? We should be thinking bigger. Basic income is a radical policy, and we really will need culture change in order to pass it. Let's use the policy as a vehicle to change culture and, and help people to think about what might a really new safety net look like that isn't inherently tied to work, that really ensures that no one should live in poverty, not no one who works should live in poverty. Yeah. And I think this is an interesting divide that you see, maybe especially with people who either are, are elected officials or who have worked in government, who tend to think on more of maybe a two year time frame of, you know, what what's possible in the foreseeable future. Whereas, you know, some of the rest of us might be thinking, well, uh, you know, well, let's let's actually think about what we want and not exactly starting from scratch, but w- what's kind of a better vision and how can we get there? And ultimately, if we do really want to ensure that we're lifting up everyone, that we're opening up the space of, of who we support as a society to include those who don't have access to full-time jobs and, and certainly those who, who won't in the future, then we need to make that leap at some point. So why not start doing that now? And speaking of not having access to full-time jobs in the future, one thing that comes up obviously quite a lot with basic income, often the very first thing is automation. And this tends to get conflated with with basic income as if they were one topic almost. And I feel like you know that's kind of where I started with basic income, but it's it's not where I am right now. Um, automation may eventually kind of force this conversation anyway, but I think it's a mistake to think of basic income as a response to automation. I, I would echo that. I think I also, thinking about automation of the future was what really got me to pay more attention to and start supporting the idea of basic income. But but at this point, I feel like regardless of what happens with that, we still need basic income. And I've seen that trajectory amongst so many supporters in the space that automation, it, it, I would say it's jarring and it knocks people out of their existing mental headspace as far as what magnitude of, of change we should be thinking about as a society. But once you get there and spend time thinking about what basic income could do, you realize that there's so many benefits that are separate from automation that we need to really be considering it as a standalone policy. And I, I will say also, I think the more time I spent looking at it, I think there are very smart people out there who make good points as to why this time is different and we may be headed towards a future where most jobs are automated, but there's also very smart people who argue the opposite. And uh, at this point, I, I don't actually know what's going to happen. Right. And I, I've kind of moved more and more toward that position of like, well, I guess we'll find out <laughs> how this is all going to work out. Um, I do think it's possible that we will have a future where it will be very hard for 
people to find jobs that a robot couldn't do better and cheaper. You know, not every single job, but enough of what we're doing today that we just won't be able to have the same levels of, of employment. Also totally possible that we'll have close to full employment and, you know, there will be robot human harmony. <laughs> I the, the thing I am more and more sure about, though, is that the level of stability that we had in the past with jobs is not coming back. Yeah. The way the technology is changing how we do work means that both the how long you do a certain job for, but also the type of work you do within that job, I think, is become much more dynamic. And so uh, I, I think that trying to count or expecting to count on that underlying level of stability from this long-term career that that used to be the case, I, I just it's hard to imagine how that could could be a possibility going forward. I, and, and that's why I think that separate from what happens with automation, it's so important that we be looking at what provides that underlying level of stability and peace of mind to everyone. Right. And I think in the same way that we don't always know what sort of tasks are going to be automated. We also don't know which companies are going to fail. Um, like we, it's just become a very normal thing to hear, you know, so-and-so company is going to lay off 5,000 employees over the next couple of months. Like the, I think I heard one of those headlines this morning, and it just kind of breezed right by because you, you hear it so often. Uh, and also, of course, there are companies that don't have 5,000 employees that just kind of can vanish rather quickly. That's kind of a way of life right now, and maybe it's okay that that's how the economy works on a macro level, but on a you know person-to-person level, these are people's lives that are being dramatically disrupted because we have a system that expects them to be able to have a job and keep a job for an indefinite period. But I do think, coming back to the main point about basic income automation being ingrained in people's head, it's not at all surprising that that's the case if you look at what media is being published out there. Mm-hmm. It's obviously very interesting to hear when tech leaders are, are talking about their predictions for the future and how many of them see that eventually we will need something like basic income because of automation. But I, I think that it has honestly done a disservice to the movement as a whole because the narrative is so much on that front that it's it's setting up this barrier to, to getting a lot of people who, who really share the fundamental values that many of us supporting basic income do about making sure everyone has a fair shot, dealing with this rampant inequality that we have now, allowing people to, to have social and economic mobility in society. And if, if that's the only frame that is being put out there, a lot of people just aren't aren't willing and able to engage. Right. You know, if you see a, a video of a, a robot that can do a lot of different things, it's kind of like weird and thrilling and scary and, it, you know, makes a good headline and will probably get shared on the Internet. Whereas if you, you know, walk past a, a homeless person, at least, you know, where where we live in the Bay Area, that's that's a daily occurrence. And it's not a headline. It's It's just life. And it's always been that way, at least in the places that I've lived. But to me, what makes me think about basic income is walking past a homeless person on the street and me thinking, well, what if this person just had a basic social safety net that took care of them regardless of their, the rest of their situation? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I, I think it's on us. I think it's on supporters of basic income to actually be telling that story, that 
I don't think we can count on the media to be lifting right. up that narrative. And so when we talk about this idea to, to people we know, that's what we need to tell them about. We need to say how this will make a difference for people and, and, and also explain how this isn't a counter to pushing to give to give people good jobs and good work in the future, but it is that just underlying stability that that we need today and yesterday as well as going forward. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the service of your choice. And please tell your friends. We are always trying to grow this movement little by little. And you can do us a, a, a great service in that regard just by letting people know about this podcast, maybe a, an episode you found particularly interesting. All right, and we'll see you next week. Next week.